This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This is Rebecca from Connecticut. Instead of stacking Hamiltons and Jacksons, I'd much rather be stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's Bomb's Basement, it's The Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's Bomb's neighbor, Doug, and how's your relationship with money? Well, prepare for it to get a whole lot better, because today we welcome the author of The Mindful Millionaire, Lisa Peterson. Also, the numbers are in for trading in the second quarter for 401k plans. Did you trade much? We'll see what your peers did. And of course, we'll also toss out the Haven Lifeline to a cool guy named Rich from Ohio. Wait a minute, there's no cool guys in Ohio. Anyway, Rich has a question about funding an SEP IRA from work in the gig economy. And of course, there will still be my fantastic trivia. And now, two guys who could learn a thing or two about relationships. It's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. I don't know, man. My relationship with donuts this morning was phenomenal. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Stacking Benjamin Show. On Wednesday, I am Joe Salci. I average Joe Money on Twitter. And a guy who also knows how to donut or two, Mr. OG. Not the fake OG on Twitter. And I'm closing in on you in terms of follows. In terms of donut consumption? Also that. Well, I'm well ahead of you on that. But that place pretty good donuts, huh? That the place has great donuts. Yeah. yeah. It was funny because Mrs. OG told me, she's like, I didn't know that OG told you that this was like the best donut place on earth. And I was starting to put it in my mouth. I'm like, the bar is kind of high. And I would say after two and a half donuts, I decided, well, you're not wrong. I'm not sure you're right, but you're definitely in the ballpark. Yeah. I mean, they're kind of crispy, creamish a little. Yeah. Not quite so sugary. No, that's the best part. And they're just the right amount of dough. Oh, yeah, those light fluffy ones. Cheryl likes cake donuts. I'm like, you must be a communist if you like cake donuts. Obviously. Hey, OG, if we want to hire somebody to go make some donuts for us, I bet they have somebody who does that on Fiverr. At least tells us how to make donuts. <laughs> Can instruct us. Big thanks to Fiverr. I'm sure, by the way, that there are chefs on Fiverr. There's got to be. There are people who can write recipes on Fiverr. Thanks, Fiverr, for supporting Stacking Benjamins. Easy to find freelance talent for your business or product. Don't waste any more time. Get 10% off and the service you deserve by going to F-I-V-E-R-R.com. Use code SB to tell them you're a stacker and you'll get 10% off. Hey, you're not getting 10% off this show, though. You're getting 100% of the show absolutely free. Lisa Peterson is back. 
she told probably last time she was here, OG, remember she told probably the most harrowing story we've ever had on this show mm-hmm. about sitting in the doctor's waiting room. Yeah. We promise it's not going to be that harrowing today, but she's quite a storyteller. So we've got that, but first we've got a couple headlines. So let's get rolling. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show. Our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Our first headline comes to us from Napa-Net.org. That's a national association of plan advisors, the people who manage 401k plans pension funds, that type of thing. This is written by Ted Gabbout. Markets rebound, but here's the spoiler OG, 401k participants not moved to trade. Ted writes, as the S&P 500 was posting its best quarterly performance in more than two decades, 401k investors were light traders, according to the Alight Solutions 401k index. The firm reports in its second quarter 2020 observations, there were only six days of above normal trading activity, a sharp decline from the 29 above normal days in the first quarter. Half of those days can be attributed to June, which saw a modest uptick in 401k trading activity with three days of above normal activity. A normal level, by the way, of relative transfer activities when the net daily movement of participants' balances is a percentage of total 401k balances within the index equals between 0.3 times and 1.5 times the average daily net activity of the preceding 12 months. Oh, what did I just say? I have no idea what I just said. We are all now dumber for having heard it. Holy cow. That was rough. TLDR, dude. At some point, at some point, they, uh, they, they decided how much normal trading activity was. But let's get to this. The TLDR. Too long. Didn't read. The takeaway here, not a lot of trading going on the second, second quarter. Good news or bad news? Ooh. Depends on the last trade of the first quarter, I suppose. That's, that's my thing. When I saw that there were 29 above normal days in the first quarter where too many people had too end, much trading. Did you end with the right allocation on March 31st and then let it ride into the second quarter? Come on, which one are you betting? Oh, I, well, I already know the answer to this. So many people got out. It's all in cash and stable value. So many people got and out. And now they're going to get their statements and go, whew, at least I made 2% last quarter. 2.02% last quarter. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yes. It's, I think, oh, wait, I th- Am- Amazon's up over 3,000. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. The S&P I, was up 21%. Roar, roar, roar. That's what I think. I think, and I'm sure we'll see this soon, I think most people missed it. I mean, these people that overtraded, they got yeah. scared. They said, I got to get out. Yeah. They traded late in the quarter. Yeah. Hit, hit the downturn perfectly, like that perfect swan dive into less money. <laughs> Even the East German judge went, nice job screwing up your 401k. I give you a 10. <laughs> the East German judge. <laughs> like right when the tide went out. Like when you do cliff diving in Mexico, you got to like, you have to jump when there is no tide. Right. Because when you fall, the tide will come in and catch you. But you think they did it the other way? I do. And I don't mean to be cynical, but don't you? Oh, it's not cynical. It's, it's fact. It's science. <laughs> Hashtag science. It's totally science. I'm a stock market expert. That's my terrible Donald Trump. Trading inflows for the second quarter went mostly to bond funds. Smart place to put your money if you're investing for 30 years. And when the market's going up quickly, I like investing in stuff that doesn't go up that much. Uh, Or at all. Which collected 51% of inflows. So it's markedly half. Following behind. Number two, money market funds. 
Nice. Even better place to put your money. 50% of it flows. Why are you putting your money in a money market fund if you're not retiring for 25 years? But I want to safely go nowhere. I want to very safely wreck my retirement for a value of 146 million and 13% of the money, wait for it, went to stable value funds. <laughs> Keeps on getting better. So now we're at a full 75% of new money. This is in, in the, the second quarter. This is in the second quarter. When the market went up, 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 why are we doing this? What are we thinking? As to asset classes with the most trading outflows, target date funds. And I know people did that because they're like, oh, I listened to OG. Oh, Stacking Benjamins and OG said target yep. date funds suck. So that's why I got out. Yeah. Ooh, I got to do that. And like the whole purpose of a target date fund is to not have to trade it ever. And yet people are like, wait. Uh. Wait, so hold on. I have that. Uh and no one went the other way. No one said like. Because I could actually kind of sort of understand it if in the end of the first quarter you went, well, the hell with this. I'm never retiring in 2040. I guess got to trade my trade my target date fund to 2050. Yeah. Like, right. I would have actually signed off on that. Well, okay. I get it. <laughs> like, you know, but no one, everyone went, oh, this one, 24, I'm going to do the 2020 fund. So I have this fund that rebalances automatically based on uh, efficient markets and based on modern portfolio theory. And I have and timed uh, out perfectly to the day I need the money. I have a whole management team, like even, even the ones that you and I think do it wrong. Yeah. They have a whole management team of people that do this as a profession, understand markets, yeah. putting your money and it's going to slowly land over time. Right. To get me where I want to go. I got to get rid of that. Yeah. Got to get rid of it. Makes no sense to me. You know, what makes sense to me putting my money in something that will miss the entire thing. You've seen the studies. We don't have the, the numbers right in front of us, but there's this whole thing, OG, about if you miss just very few days, very few days over the course of your career, you completely screw your returns. And yeah. I got to feel like a couple of those days happened this quarter. Oh, not a couple of days. I mean, the day after. So March 23rd was the downturn. That was the bottom. That was the minus 11 day. March 24th was a plus 10 day. So I know that's in the first quarter. This is the value of a steady hand when you want to do some really crazy stuff. I mean, when you're looking at, should I do my own taxes or should I pay a CPA or should I hire a financial advisor or should I do it myself? And you make one mistake like this, you know, well, I'm just going to hang out for the quarter. Like what's, what's three in the grand scheme of my lifetime. I'm 40 years old. I got 20 years of work left was really the cost of just hanging out for, you know, just to let things stabilize for the next 90 days, 20%. And people that bemoan the fact that advisors cost money or CPAs or tax people cost money, you paid for 20 years. In 90 days, you paid 20 years. I'm laughing about all those memes about, uh, I grew up in West Michigan in Redneckville. I'm <laughs> just like the whole... Hold my beer. Watch me wreck this. Hold on. Hold my beer. I'm trading out of my trading out of my thing. Don't uh, do this, guys. Uh, pl please don't. Uh, second headline comes to us from Investment News. Well, I'm going to close that loop though. But okay. if you did, fix it. Like it is. It is what it is now, right? You can't look back and say, "Oh, so now I got to wait for the market to crash again," or I have to. Nope. That's worse. That's worse. Nope. Money has to go in by nightfall. By nightfall, just go. I'm. I'm. I made the error. I'm fixing it. You got out in one day. Trust me. I know you did. You didn't dollar cost average out. Nuh-uh. You sold everything to cash because I'm just going to wait it out and see how the, see what happens. Okay. Lesson learned. 
So maybe this is the least amount of money that you'll make this mistake with. We talked last uh, last episode about making mistakes and not doing it twice. Don't do it twice. So now get the money back in right now. Right now. Change your allocation, your 401k. Don't let this Friday's paycheck go into freaking stable value fund. Don't do it. Stocks for the win. All you do is just put three letters together and they all buy, 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 and they go up, up, up. <laughs> all according to OG's new newsletter, <laughs> FUDP, the FUDP newsletter. Listen to Monday's show if you don't know what that joke is. That's the joke that will not get old. Uh, our second headline, as I mentioned, comes from Investment News. We generally don't talk politics, but we've got some big time oh, politics. politics. Excellent. Yeah, let's bring it up. Yes. Oh, okay. reli- religion's next. Fake news. Yes. Religion's did you see next. Sp- we already talk about money. It's money, religion, politics. So yeah. let's just do the big three. By the way, did you see the coffee mug that I got my wife for Mother's Day? It's in the... In the uh... <laughs> no. Oh, you didn't? Oh, boy. I'll have to show you. Uh, you going to tell us what it is or no? Uh, it's a caricature of the president and his wavy hair going around the cup. And then it just says, like, you're the greatest wife of all time. The fact. I know wives. I have many. You know, it's like, like <laughs> you're, total, you're totally awesome. You're to- all other wives are terrible. You're the best. You're the best. That is. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So. Uh, Mark Shaw politics. Let's do it. Right. Yes. Cause uh, I think we should weigh in on this because this has been in the news a lot and it, probably this week, OG, we're going to see things come to a head. A funding bill working its way through the house appropriations committee would prevent the securities and exchange commission from completing work on a proposal to ease rules on private securities offerings. Have you seen this whole thing about the sec? No. Sec, sec. Well, let's just read. On Wednesday, a House Appropriations Subcommittee approved a bill that would increase the SEC's budget by $105 million for fiscal uh, 2021. The bill contains a provision known as a rider that would prohibit the SEC from allocating any funds to implement the private market reform measure until it approves a 2013 proposal that would require the agency to collect more data about unregistered securities and potential investor harm from their sales. TLDR, dude. The TLDR on this, the Securities and Exchange Commission wants to make it easier to have private placement securities and things like hedge funds available inside in products inside of a 401k plan. So while they still haven't made it available for you and I to just go buy a hedge fund with our money as a choice in the in our thrift savings plan or whatever yeah, plan I have, it now would allow the internal vehicles like your target date fund mm-hmm. could go could buy package it together, could and- package a hedge fund in there and have it as part of part of the package. The SEC trying to bring that around the house saying not so fast. We need, we need some more study. Yeah. Sounds great. Let's make really complicated products available to the people who don't need them. Well, that's my thing, but, but man, your 401k is no place for a hedge fund. Just, just no place. I mean, for a almost, hedge fund. almost it's never, Almost it's never. I want to say it's it's almost never. It almost never has a place. There we go. I got it eventually. It's lunchtime. Should it not though? Should it not though be available as a choice? Should it be a choice or should it not be a choice? Is it too predatory to put it in in there as a choice? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, think of it this way. Look at the annuity conversation. Well, have we had one of those before? Maybe one or two. You and I have said openly that there's a place for them 
there are two they are tools like any other financial tool. We say this about permanent life insurance. And by the way, not only are annuities tools, a lot of people selling annuities are tools. <laughs> I did the extended laugh. Yeah, I could tell. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Quiet down, everybody. We're still recording. So all of those are tools, yet we would rather than just not exist in workplace plans, despite the fact that there's probably some that are good and there's probably some people that will actually benefit from them. And because the vast majority of them suck, the overwhelming majority are too costly and too complicated. I think the same thing's true about hedge funds. If you're qualified to invest in a hedge fund, meaning we, you have- We didn't, I like how you tried to put that by me though, because I came, if you remember, I came down on the other side of that. Oh, you think they should be in workplace plans? Annuities, that there should be an annuity option? Uh-huh. Yes, I do think there should be an annuity uh, option. Okay. In a 401k plan. Interesting. Remember, you and I had a big knockdown drag out that I think I won. I certainly remember, as you can tell. I mean, it doesn't, we're all allowed, we're all allowed to have errors in judgment, I guess. And, you know, this is the hill you're going to have your error on. But nevertheless, so do you think people should have hedge funds in their 401ks too? Like to hell with, the, to hell with everybody, personal responsibility? Are you like super libertarian now all of a sudden? <laughs> Speaking of politics, like, hey, if you can't, you can't tell the crappy thing from the good, it's not my fault. Not my fault that you don't know how to read thousand page perspectives. First of all, I don't know that we need a law. I don't know that we need a law that keeps people from being separated from their money. I'm not sure that we do. But hedge funds, I think I'm with you. Hedge funds are super, so complicated. And uh, there's so many opportunities for everybody to make money but you. And I think people have so much trouble understanding even how... Frankly, I think hedge funds are better than annuities. No, no. Absolutely. No, if you strip down an annuity to what it's really meant to be, if you strip I'm down not the saying, annuity, I'm not saying the good ones. I agree with the idea of... The idea of, of a hedge fund is worse than the idea of an annuity by far. Easily by uh, far. Maybe. I haven't thought that far, but I'm thinking about in terms of like just the overt and covert like ways that you get screwed. The vast majority of annuities are below board. Oh, like TikTok lady going, this never goes down. I mean, every single, even the freaking advertisements say that. At least the hedge fund guy goes, yeah, listen, so uh, all 20% of all the profits go to me and uh, 2% of all your money goes to me. If you make money beyond that, that's good for you. I think if you did, uh, okay, we're turning this into an annuity fight, which I don't, which I, we don't need to have right now because not, the, uh, I like fighting. I like fighting too, but let's go ahead and fight about hedge funds right now. We've had the annuity fight. People can go back and listen to that. We can have it again later, but, uh, but I think that makes this a four hour show. Not if you fast forward to the solution, which is don't have them. And OG's right. No, the solution is longevity is a real issue for people. And for people that haven't saved enough and they're on the border and they need to make sure they have enough and they're not that savvy, I think having a guaranteed income stream is a good thing. Why do we think that having a pension is a good thing for people that have them and yet doing the same thing? I'm just saying doing the same thing by yourself. Why is that not a good thing? I get what you're saying, that there's a bunch of crappy ones. I I totally get that. I agree. The idea of the product and the actual product are two different things in my mind. I think the product should be allowed. Maybe there needs to be handrails. Like if we're going that if we're going that way with hedge funds, let's go that way with annuities too. Let's put some handrails on the thing. The problem I have with handrails though, we already have that with uh, 
with accredited investors, you got to admit that accredited investor rules are crap. They're arbitrary. They don't really well, make a lot of and sense. And it's outdated. It's I mean, so it used outdated. to be, I mean, I remember 20 years ago, it was like, oh my God, you, you make 300,000, you qualify for this thing. And now, I mean, still, still 300,000. You can have yeah. somebody making 300,000 doesn't know anything. Yeah. You can have a guy making My 50, point is that 50, hasn't changed. It hasn't, it hasn't yes. indexed with inflation. 20 years ago, 300,000 is today's 750. And it also hasn't indexed with people's ability to get information quickly either. Well, yeah. And hedge funds don't provide information. Go to your favorite hedge fund website and try to yeah. download the. I mean, I found an actual, it was posted on Twitter. So there's a, every year, most hedge fund managers will get, you know, have the kind of their year end letter basically to their shareholders, but it's super confidential. You can't even get like a, like a mutual fund or an ETF. You get the shareholder letter. You own Disney stock. You get the annual report. If you own a hedge fund, you get a letter that goes, Hey, we did good. Like that's about the extent of it. Just goes bam, mic drop. Or we know okay. do good. Sorry, but also your money's locked up for the next twelve years, so we don't really care. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, anyways, the long and the short of it is that this is bad for the average investor. It is bad, whether there's a law passed or not. We can both agree there. That's yes. that's where we come down. Bad, bad for the average person. I think that's uh, takeaway number one. Takeaway number two is uh, trade your four hundred one k. Do the other thing. Into the money market? Go the other way. Feel the fear. Should be a law for that. Feel the fear, but do the right thing. Lisa Peterson is an amazing person when it comes to money because, oh, gee, where a lot of people in the financial services industry want to talk about the nuts and bolts and the numbers. Lisa knows all the nuts and bolts and numbers. However, she has always been much more interested in the mindfulness of your money. And as you know, there are people, you and I were having this discussion about a guy who, who has, what does he have? A Ferrari and a Corvette and about 16 dogs. Mm-hmm. And um, if you're playing the game of chase more money and you've never asked yourself why don't get me wrong there's nothing wrong with chasing more money but if you've done that and you've never really asked yourself why i think lisa peterson's a great person to talk to because not only making money but making good use of your money that gets a good one two punch let's say hi to miss mindful millionaire herself lisa peterson And here she is back for her triumphant second appearance. Lisa Peterson's with us. How are you? I am really good, all considering. I feel like you're that person that I should talk to more and I don't talk to nearly enough. Aw, likewise. I'm so excited to be here. I'm, I'm glad you're here. So so I got to tell you, when I have a dream, it often is that I am going to work and I'm in my pajamas, but then I realized that because I work in my mom's basement, that's completely acceptable. But you have in your new book, you've got this, this dream sequence where you've got like all these beautiful people around, like you have the most whacked out dreams. Do you have dreams like this all the time? <laughs> Not normally. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is, they, an- they were entertaining. Yeah. Oh my gosh. This that's was so funny. Oddly specific dream. You mind telling everybody about this dream? You know, yes, a little backstory to it. 
there was a concept. I am a brand new writer, right? I haven't written a book like this before. So there was a concept that I wanted to teach in the book. And my writing skills were not up for being able to write about this thing. Like I was like weeks and weeks and weeks thinking about what I wanted to say and then having no idea how to say it. And it literally came through this dream. And then that's what got put into the book. And I was like, oh, there it is. When the next morning when I woke up, I was trying to tell my husband I couldn't figure still how to do it. And then, you know how dreams just pop out of nowhere. So it came and uh, and literally it showed me kind of a synopsis of the life that many of us feel like we've been living where, you know, everyone's perfect. It's that lo- like woebegone story where just the world out there is so perfect. Everyone else has got it figured out. And you're the one standing there going, I'm an imposter. This isn't really working for me. I don't, you know, feel like I'm all that talented or. And so the story was that I literally got brought into almost like a timeshare sales pitch. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's what it felt like. I was like, oh, my gosh, it's like time. They're trying to sell me something. And these people at this party were gorgeous and perfect and wonderful. And then all of a sudden they clear out and this man and woman come in and they start telling me like, well, at first they said, do you want to be like everybody else? And I was like, yeah, they're really cool people. And then they were like, okay, well, it's only going to cost you like a million dollars and we can help you. And I was like, what? And then that's why it became like a timeshare because they looked at each other and they're like, we're not going to be able to get her to pay a million dollars to like have her life be incredible. How much is she going to pay? And they kept coming down in price. And, and what it did was it opened the door for this understanding of how we all kind of get caught in this game of like better, bigger, more, and we get lost inside of it. And we think that because we don't have everything perfect, we aren't this incredible source of perfection inside. And and so the, the message in that story was that we have a lot more potential than we realize. And it isn't just about the money. That is the most messed up dream. I'm reading about your dream and I'm like, that is just, but it also seems like, you know how companies have just in time inventory. You have just in time dreams, (laughs) like just, just exactly when you need it. You took an odd turn for financial advisors. You know, a lot of financial advisors. I know a lot of financial advisors. Most of them focus on the nuts and bolts of a financial plan. You know, they're all about tactical moves and things. And a lot of them try to, uh, and I think this is actually a problem. They try to pretend like they're stock jocks when they really aren't or that, you know, the money management, sexy stuff. You went a whole different way talking about emotions and money. What made you turn that way? And do you remember when you turned to talking more about emotion with money? I don't know when it became clear to me that I could actually teach about it, but I can say that in the downturn, the last one, 2008, I was a mortgage banker at the time. And the things that I saw happen in that couple year period were mind blowing, right? You know, people would break down, they were losing their houses that I had just a couple years done a mortgage for. And it was so stressful and so intense. And it woke me up to the fact that there's a whole other narrative happening for people that nobody talks about. And that and that I didn't even really understand, except for the fact that I think we all know money stresses people out. That was kind of the extent of it. I didn't know why it stressed people out so much and why there was so much anxiety. And 
and why people made such stupid decisions about money on a regular basis that I could see because I've always been good with money. But what I didn't understand is why. And so that's that was the journey of, of figuring it out, I think, even in the past six years since I left the financial advising business. And at that time, by the way, I mean, you were successful yourself at an early age. Yeah. I mean, self-made millionaire by 35. It took me about 10 years from making the decision to do that. I also was very, very successful in every job I had in financial services, but I also kind of saw the CD side underneath it too. Yeah. 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 I didn't know financial services had a CD side. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the stories I could tell, they would be very shocking to your audience. Yeah. Yeah. those out of the book, by the way. That's the next number two. I was going to say, that's the next book. For you, by the way, how did you do it? How did you get to wealthy status? I made the decision. I was reading all those books in the mid nineties, you know, think and grow rich, you know, Vicki Robin, your money or your life, uh, rich dad, poor dad, the millionaire next door. That was a big one. So I made the decision And then I started looking for opportunities. One of them came in going on disaster duty. I was working for State Farm Insurance and I went down and spent six months on disaster duty after the Northridge earthquake. So that was like 1994. And as a result of saving every penny I got for disaster duty, I got a $30,000 paycheck that literally went into savings. And then a few years later, when I got recruited to a big bank, I did the same thing again. I was like, they're going to pay me a per diem. They're going to, I knew how this worked. Like I was like, I can bank a lot of money and they're going to help us buy a house. And I like literally figured out how to buy a home in Walnut Creek by just scrapping it all together and pulling the money. And then the next one was two years after the Walnut Creek purchase of the home, we did the same sort of thing where we scrapped together credit cards, whatever we could. This house was almost falling down when we bought it. It was like falling down the side of a cliff because it was the cheapest thing we could afford. But we put all of our time, money, lived in this house with no roof, no walls, with a little baby and just made it work while my husband renovated this house. And two years later, we had doubled our investment. And that was when I was like, I am really, really good at scrappily putting things together and financing projects. And I realized that I'm not a great saver in the traditional sense, but when you give me a task or a goal, watch out. That's awesome. But I think that's also most people, which is why we have to hide money from ourselves. But that's a whole different, whole different day. The big aha for me was, so here you are, you are in your thirties, things are going fantastically well by all measures of success. You're there. And yet you realize it's, it's leading nowhere. Yeah, it was leading nowhere. Well, I had, you know, like the last episode that we talked about, I had several tragedies occur and they woke me up to the fact that I had placed money as like a God in my life and that wasn't serving me and I needed to make some big changes. And it wasn't going to be the industry or working in that business that was going to help me make the changes I needed to make. I had to kind of break into two parts. I had my professional Lisa, and then I had this mindfulness obsessed spiritual teaching person that would go on retreats. And I just played them out completely separate until I started this business. And I was like, Oh, 
I could actually do both now. I can bring them together. And even though back then, I mean, I remember when we first met, this is going back 2014, I was like a weirdo, even in the FinCon circles, because <laughs> I just was like talking about stuff and I could just see just like in the industry, people's eyes would roll you know, back and be like, I don't know what she's talking about, but you go girl. And, <laughs> and now the world has caught up with me. How's that? Yeah. 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 So you did get pushback. Oh yeah. Nobody understood. I didn't even understand. <laughs> yeah. But, but, and it seems weird when you get that kind of pushback that you would still push forward on a business. I mean, I think that's fantastic. I found those people that were like my people that were like, oh, this is really good. I'm interested. Thank God they showed up because all you need is a few people and a crazy idea. And the next thing you know, you got a book. I had a woman um, who was a mentor of mine, Lisa, her name's Katana, who told me early in my financial planning career, she said that you will find people who are like you, you will attract them and you will repel people who aren't like you. <laughs> and that was completely true. By the time I sold my business, my clients were people, you know, maybe they didn't look like me or sound like me, but we had the same general life outlook. You know, we had the same thing. And you're saying that was the case for your business as well. Yeah, I had to find people that were interested in self-exploration and they were willing to give me enough time to hear me out about the fact that money was actually a great proxy for this inner work. That was the part that wasn't easy. Like I kept saying it over and over again, and I'd, I'd learn how to say it differently because people don't think about money as being a great teacher in this way. Let's dive into that a little bit about being a mindful millionaire. Tell me what a scarcity mindset is. So a scarcity mindset is what happens when we feel like there isn't enough or we're not enough. And most of the time they go together. So we look out into the world and we think, oh my gosh, typically it's triggered by some kind of thing happening, COVID or job loss or you know, whatever it is, some kind of stressful situation, what the data says is that we immediately shrink our focus and all we can look at is a very small part of the equation. Like I lost my job and therefore no jobs are available and I can't go out and find a job. And oh my gosh, I could never ask for more money because I just got let go from this job. Like it just goes on and on. And that's a scarcity mindset that you're just trapped inside of no, 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 rather than yes, yes, yes. You quote Brene Brown. You write from Brene Brown. For me, the opposite of scarcity is not abundance. It's enough. I'm enough. My kids are enough. Yeah, that's been a big one. I feel like this past six years, starting a business and understanding money in a deeper way, I eventually realized, I was like, this is really what's going on. It has a lot to do with us thinking that our self-value, our self-worth has to do with how big our bank balance is or how much success we've had in our career. And that's not fair because we all have different circumstances. And in fact, when we believe that, then we shortchange ourselves in so many ways. That's what I am, I think, here in this life to, to help people with is to figure it out for myself that this isn't about our worth. Our worth is unquestionable. It's always there. And we get to give ourselves permission for that. We don't have to wait for money to be doing that or our career to do that. And the funny thing is, 
is that when we move past this, just from a mindset transformation, we start to go out into the world and we do things differently from a place of empowerment rather than restriction. It's funny you say that right now. I just went through a period where we sold most of our stuff. You went through that same thing. And I feel like for, for a lot of people, stuff equals status. And it was weird changing my mindset to the point that that was actually cool. And I still kind of find that strange that 10 years after I transitioned over to financial um, media, that I've interviewed so many people like you that now it seems second nature that, yeah, of course I get rid of my stuff. But as you know, most of society out there is saying, you sold all your stuff. I mean, when, when you sold all your stuff, how did you feel? It was like the coolest thing ever. We like got down to three suitcases for a year. And well, funny story. There was a little bit more actually that I sent with us to Hawaii. And well, I, I brought it with us to Hawaii when we moved there. And then I was like, oh my gosh, I'm still attached to stuff. And I sent this box that cost like a hundred dollars for this little teeny box, you know, of stuff. It was just like, this is a perfect example of how you can get so attached to things that you don't need. And it costs you more to get rid of them or something. Isn't that funny? It's, <laughs> it's, it's so wild. We all have a mindset. Early on in the book, you talk about mindset and about we have these beliefs, right? And these beliefs come from all different places. And I guess that's the first place to start, I would imagine, Lisa, is actually sitting down and exploring why the hell do I have the beliefs that I have? It's really important. And even in that chapter, I tried to keep it more simple, but each and every point, I have these clouds that sort of show you all the ways that the beliefs come. And each one of those you could go deep into, like something like ancestral belief systems, where you your parents didn't live through the depression, but their parents did. And even that happening way back then is like being passed on in these very subtle ways so that here we find ourselves in this situation. And some people are more triggered than others because of all the stuff that's been passed through the family to this moment in time. And we don't realize sometimes that they're even there until something triggers it. Yeah. But b believe me, when that gets triggered, that's all that you can think about. Well, it's funny because we talk about this with politics, right? People regionally have different political beliefs, people based on what they're, you know, I'm from West Michigan. Most people in West Michigan vote a certain way, look a certain way, act a certain way. And, and it took me a long time just exploring those beliefs. And do I really believe this stuff? But it was inherent. And I still see it on Facebook with my cousins. Like I have this one cousin and whenever she posts on Facebook, I'm like, this is your mom posting, right? This is, this is not even, not even you posting, but let's go through some of the money beliefs that people have. Cause I wrote down, I mean, I wrote down a few of them and they're very small, but if you have some examples of like some <laughs> beliefs that you see that we should dig into and ask about, what would those be? There was one that came the other day and only for you will I share this, but it was <laughs> eat a dollar poop a penny. <laughs> <laughs> Put absolutely perfect for us. That's so good. What does that mean? I think it, you... I think it means that you're consuming ninety nine percent of the money. Yeah, yeah. Which I, then... which I think would be bad. That, yes. that would make you fat. You should probably put more <laughs> than that. <laughs> of course. There's so many. They just go on and on. I mean, my, my son calls me out on stuff all the time, yeah. but I still am. I'm doing this work all the time and he'll still be like, mom, 
that's not true. You know, he'll check me and we can't afford that. You just bought a brand new car or, you know, you say one thing and then you show something else. And that's where, if you want to live a life of integrity, this is a really helpful exercise because you realize that you're saying one thing and you're doing another or, or vice versa. Right. And, yeah. and it's okay. not fun. So can we go through a few of mine then? So how about that? This is one I grew up with. We don't talk about money around the kids. I think that's, and I don't know if that is exactly where you're headed. Um, but that was a big one that I grew up with. I would walk into the room, my brother and sister and I walk into the room and my parents would immediately stop talking about money and they'd tell us to leave because they were talking about money. Then I went to college and I absolutely destroyed my credit. But that was a belief my parents had. You don't talk about money around the kids. And I know that's a lot of people out there. It is a lot of people and people feel really robbed later in life when they realize that there hasn't been enough attention around the topic, both in our families as well as in our education system. And even if you go out and get an MBA, you don't learn a lot of stuff that is like basic finance 101. But you say we, we just need to start asking why, like, why don't we talk about it with the kids? Just Definitely. Very simple. Number two. I have to go to college. That was a big one, you know, that started in the 90s. And we have people proving that wrong all the time now. Oh, so true. I mean, this is a belief that we're working through in our family right now because my son's like, I don't want to go to college. And my daughter just finished and she spent $100,000 for an education. Thankfully, she got some assistance, uh, you know, scholarships and things. But she's an EMT earning a minimum wage right now. So that's because it's a pathway to, you know, something else. She's actually quite happy doing this job. And the mind shift of like, I just think we, we have not spent enough time thinking about, you know, these sorts of beliefs and like, where do they come from? That's another, but as you bring that up about your daughter, that was Actually, it's funny because it's my next one on the list, which is what's the real definition? What's the real return on investment of ROI? I feel like on the other end, money nerds just look at it as money ROI, but college has other benefits that might not be money related. So just a little question about why, like why, what's my real ROI? What am I trying to get out of it? Frankly, if I had known what I know now, I would have realized how much networking during college, I should have been networking more. I should have been thinking about that more. Instead, I was just trying to survive my class and see if I could play some video games and maybe drink some beer. <laughs> well, isn't drinking beer kind of like networking? networking? That's true. Good point. Maybe not networking with the right people all the time, though, Lisa. How about this one? Because this is inherent in the dream that you had. I must have a bigger house, right? My family has outgrown this house. That's one that you must see quite a bit. I see it. I had it. We were building houses and we built this grand house that was incredible. And I'll tell you what happened. Our friends came over and they looked around and they immediately thought we must be different people. And they actually didn't really want to come back for a while. opposite of this idea that you're going to be more popular when you have a bigger house or whatever it was that I was holding on to. And I was like, wait, come back. Cause it was ridiculous what we had built. It was you were, just over the top. You were intimidating them. Yes. <laughs> is it, is, isn't that wild? That's incredible. Uh, how about this one? If I give money away, it's more money out of my pocket. Oh, yeah, that's a big one. I think especially right now, because a lot of people could really benefit from our generosity. 
So yeah, if someone else gets it, I lose out. And this is pretty much a very deep rooted, some people have it, some people don't just like all of these beliefs, but it's, it's real. And it's something that's helpful to look at because the idea, I think anyone who's given a lot of money away will probably come back and say to you, every time I gave money away, I saw it come back in spades. It was such a change. It was such a change for me. I was that person. It was such a change. And having that aha was a huge change in my life. Yeah, it's beautiful. I think we're, we're being tested in a lot of different ways right now. And even this, I talk a lot about just cooperation and, you know, connection and supporting each other. And like, we have come in a culture that's very rugged individualism. And I think that's being called into question because some of the problems that we're dealing with right now cannot be solved inside of that belief structure, that it's better to be an individual and separate when in reality, we are not very separate when we live in a society together. We're totally interdependent. We're like a Petri dish. <laughs> that's, that's what I feel like right now. Whenever I'm on an airplane, like this is an airplane. This is a Petri dish. You have lots of exercises as you go through eight steps to becoming a mindful millionaire. I just like to go over one before we go, which is you write this, take a piece of paper and draw a line down the middle. On the left side, write the words in my comfort zone. And on the right side, write the words outside of my comfort zone. Now write down in each column the things that are in or outside your comfort zone when it comes to money. You may also choose to write about feelings you're not comfortable expressing when it comes to money. This helps to notice exactly where you are today. Why do we do that exercise, first of all? What is that exercise doing? So exercise is awakening all these areas that we kind of, I, the whole the whole idea of asking questions is to open up inquiry in little pockets of our mind that we haven't paid attention to. So I love that picture that we've probably all seen where it's like these things are in your comfort zone and then these things are outside of your comfort zone and we see it and we like, oh yeah, I get it. And then we never actually take the time to apply it to our lives to see that there are some things that we are like, I just don't go there. The other powerful thing with that is sometimes I found it's very transformational to say I'm unwilling to do something like it's just out of it's just unwilling to do it. And the minute we own something that way, it's quite remarkable because we may find that that's actually not how we feel. But it's only by owning unwillingness that we are willing to dive into it. How weird is that? No, I get it. Calling it out. I mean, really examining it and calling it out and go, yeah, no, not for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because then I think by owning it, then Lisa, then you go, why is that not for me? Mm -hmm. Great stuff. The book is Mindful Millionaire. Came out yesterday. Fantastic read. I had a ton of fun uh, going through the book. And what I like is you start big picture and then you work into specific tactics where I think most books, you talk about reading the books in the 90s. You read all the big books in the 90s and still didn't get where you wanted to go. Now they were missing that big piece that now I, I think is it's great time you know, for everybody. I think we're all looking at our relationship with money differently. And this book is a great form to ask yourself questions about, gosh, do I really believe that? Or could I come up with something much better for myself? What did you discover about you as you were writing the book? 
that I thought it was all about the money (laughs) and realized that, no, it was about this journey to understanding this value that we have as human beings. I don't totally think I knew starting on the journey that that's where it was going to take me. On the journey writing the book that that's where it was going to take you. Yeah, I had no idea. Oh, that's really cool. That's a whole different uh, psychiatric session. Lisa, thanks for, thanks for hanging out with us. By the way, everybody, we'll have a link to Mindful Millionaire on our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. Great talking to you again, Lisa. Thank you so much, Joe. I love being here. Hey, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And have you ever felt like you're missing something, forgetting something? Like, you know, when you leave your house without your I love Corona virus mask. You know, the beer, talking about the beer, not the virus. I don't love the virus, but, you know, today's one of those days. I just keep thinking, like, what is it about today, July 15th? July 15th. It's nothing special today, right? I mean, I know I'm just going to bing this just to be sure. So I'll, let me see here. Um, Hey, bing, old buddy. You know, I find if I'm really courteous to the people over at bing, seeing how I'm like their only user the better my search results are. So um, let me see here. What is going on during July 15th, 2020? And search. Tax day? Tax day? What? I thought that was canceled. Pretty sure the government canceled tax day this year. Thanks a lot, Uncle Sam. Now my plans for a non-taxing summer are completely shot. While I get my tax forms together, here's some relevant trivia I just thought of. The question is, what percentage of Americans fail to file their taxes each year? Is it more or less than 7%? Either way, not including me. I'll be back faster with my just binged answer than you can, you know, get audited. We talked about these guys on Monday, OG, all of these uh, fantastic professionals out there. And often people ask me, so where do I find good professionals to work for me? How do I find it? Where's that community? Matt Ridley on uh, Monday talked about how important for innovation community is. What if, just going to pose a question, what if there were a community of creators, you could go and you could very easily seek for somebody to plug into your project and you knew it was going to probably be done right. You knew what the price was going to be, what the outcome looked like ahead of time. What do you think about that? I would charge like five bucks for that. <laughs> well, it's unbelievable. Sadly, somebody got there before you because when you want to find on-demand talent, you want to know how much it costs, be certain if they're deliver. You head to a place called, wait for it, Fiverr. Oh, unbelievable. Fiverr's platform helps keep businesses moving with the network of trusted freelance talent. I will say this. I don't think it's been a long time since I paid five bucks on Fiverr. Oh, no. Yeah, it's not five bucks. Yeah, I've not done that before. Uh, maybe I have, but it's been a while. But it's not much. It is not much. And you know exactly what you're getting, which has been amazing. Whether you're launching your first business, you're scaling your current business, or in need of extra support to complete a project, Fiverr's here to help you evolve, adapt, and grow. Fiverr connects businesses with freelancers who offer hundreds of digital services, including graphic design, copywriting, web programming, film editing, and more. Find what you're looking for instantly. Search by service, deadline, price reviews, and more. You know exactly what you're paying for up front. No negotiating needed and 
it's quality talent you can count on. We've had great times. If you've ever heard our Stacking Benjamin's uh, advertisements on this show, most of the people that appear in those advertisements, talent we found on Fiverr. Check out Fiverr.com today and you'll get 10% off your first order because you're a stacker by using code SB. It's super easy. Find all the digital services you need in one place. F-I-V-E-R-R.com. That's code SB. Again, Fiverr.com. Code SB. Summer's here and it's time to enjoy the season. That means it's time to feed your yard with Scott's. It's easy to help your lawn stand up to summer's wear and tear to keep it lush and green and help prevent those brown spots. It's time to get outside and enjoy every day. And Scott's has got you covered because even though this summer may feel different, the best things never change. So let's get to it. It's time to enjoy your yard. Scott's, it's good out here. Hey, trivia fans, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and doing my taxes at the last minute? Yeah, I'm a little stressed with all these moves. I'm pretty sure Joe's mom threw out all my tax forms. Hey, Ma, where's my W-2? Uncle Sam says he needs something called a W-2. And a 1099, a W-2, W-4, 1098s. It's a hike, hot, hot hike. How many numbers that are you going to have when a guy like me has so little money? No wonder why millions of Americans just don't bother to file their taxes each year. Which brings us to today's trivia answer. The question was, what percentage of Americans fail to file their taxes every year? Is it more or less than 7%? So you got a 50-50 shot at this, people. Speaking of more numbers, you might be surprised to learn, as I was four minutes ago, to learn that about 7 million U.S. taxpayers fail to file required income tax returns each year. We asked whether it was more or less than 7%, right? Not 7 million, 7%, which if I carry the one, divide by, that means about 5% of Americans fail to meet their obligations to Uncle Sam. Not me though, time to get moving because I am nothing if not a rule follower. See ya. Well, you are a little cynical. You thought it was above 7%. Uh, Yeah, usually I'm a lot cynical, so... That's a little bit better. <laughs> hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline, OG. We're going to tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first. Maybe filing your taxes on time. Tacos. Tacos. That's the big thing for July 15th is tacos. Yeah. Taco Wednesday. Taco Wednesday. Taco tax filing Wednesday. It goes right after Taco Tuesday. It's the leftovers of Taco Tuesday. It is delicious. It's your loved ones in your time with tacos. And that's why they've made buying quality term life insurance simple. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now for a free quote. Today, we're saying hello to Rich. Say hi, Rich. Hello, this is Rich from Ohio. I was wondering now that the gig economy has taken off during the pandemic, am I allowed to open a SEP IRA? If I'm already contributing to a 401k plan for my full-time work, I'm looking for a part-time job, but also would like to save some extra money into retirement as well. Thanks. And my shirt size is a medium. <laughs> medium. I'm going to get a shirt that has, that says, let's taco about it. <laughs> I wonder if Brad can make one of those for us. I bet he could. Stack and Benjamin's voicemail, the Haven Lifeline. taco about it. The Haven Lifeline. Let's talk about it. Oh, that's good. 
I think we have something there. TM. Say TM. TM. Sorry. Yeah. So you see somebody did that on Twitter. They I took did, my thing. I did see that. Yeah. It's awesome. It was so funny. Hey, so uh, Rich, even though he's from Ohio, he's got a great question. Yeah. Which is... Can if, I double dip? Yeah. Can I do the dub dip? That's dip and double. Oh, thanks for the... The double dip. Yeah, you can and should, as a matter of fact. But one quick thing just to know, there is a maximum... Between all different Between plans. all the different things. Yeah. So you can't double dip in 401k and 401k. You're still limited to the top. You can't double dip in 403b and 401k. Still going to be limited to that 19.5. But if you had a 401k and a SEP, you can do that. What you'll want to do is make sure that you get with a CPA because the difference between a 401k contribution and a SEP is that technically a 401k contribution is employee money going in, whereas a SEP is technically employer money. And you don't think of it that way because you're like, well, I'm the employer, I'm the employee, uh, you know, what does it matter? Well, it matters about who's doing the contribution. That's why you can double dip. But you're still limited to a maximum amount. And the great thing about a SEP is that you don't have to put the money in right now. You can set it aside, say, okay, I'm going to, you know, I made a thousand bucks a month. I want to put away half of that for my retirement. Just put it away when you go to file your taxes next year. When you start doing your 2020 taxes, engage a CPA or a tax professional and say, hey, I want to max out all of my contributions. And then you have until the tax filing deadline to uh, to put those contributions in. So so you don't have to do it today. You don't have to do it in 2020. I get maybe you want to for you know dollar cost average purposes or whatever. But But if you're not sure how much you can do or how much you want to do or whatever, you can wait until you file your taxes next year and uh, get the right number. The downside of putting too much money in this year and then finding out in April of next year that you put it's kind of a mess to get it out. So thanks for the question, Rich. If you've got a question for us, no need to leave us your shirt size, but we are going to give Rich a t-shirt for being brave enough to ask a question, be, being brave enough to tell a GD's uh, from Ohio. That's and, true. And still ask the question. So uh, nice job, Rich. If you've got a question, though, we're going to send you a uh, Greatest Money Show Unearthed t-shirt about what a circus it is here in mom's basement. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail, and you can be like Rich. Hey, that's going to do it for today. Uh, a lot of people to thank. We're going to let Doug handle that. Uh, we do want to say, though, big thanks to everybody who's left us a review of this show Mom's very proud of those and puts those on the refrigerator. And uh, big thanks for all of you who've taken a minute to do that. Also, for those of you who are very worried about your financial planning and just listening to two guys on microphones isn't going to do it, you need better help in your corner. You know what? OG and his team are taking new clients. Head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash OG for more on that. All right. That's going to do it for today. Doug, you got it from here, man. What should we have learned today? So what should we have learned today? First, take a lesson from our headlines. Trading a lot in your 401k to avoid all the volatility? Well, stop it. And why would you use a stable value fund if your goal is long term? If that's you, it's time to do some homework on investments that meet the right time frame. Second, take a lesson from Lisa Peterson. When you are able to uncover your money experiences, beliefs, fears, and patterns about money and rewrite them, then you are on the path to prosperity and the life you really want. But the big takeaway... 
turns out I don't even need a W-2 for stacking Benjamins because I've only been paid in other and uh, better perks, according to Joe. All the water I can drink, ramen noodle for days. Best of all, this job is a great resume builder. Probably should write a resume. Turns out my taxes are going to be a cinch. Big thanks to Lisa Peterson for hanging out with us today, talking about mindfulness. You'll find her book, which came out yesterday, wherever books are sold. It's called Mindful Millionaire. And not only does Joe have a blurb in the cover, totally a reason to buy it, but we have a link to bookshop.org on our show notes page so you can support independent bookstores and the show. Awesome. This show is created by Joe Saul Seahigh. Produced by Taylor Stevens and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I swear the worst part about coming over to Joe's mom's house is having to put on pants. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor. After show time, don't talk about after show, please. Pretty please with sugar on top. I've got something for you. Uh, I've got something for you. Oh. Are you a participant in like the discount coupon? Double check. Oh. The discount couponing, you know, like the the store club card. Like remember Subway punch cards, like every sandwich you've punched the, or do you just go, yeah, whatever. I don't really. Oh, I always do. Yeah, no, you, you do no matter where the place is, I do it. And I always tell them, I forgot my card. And usually you just give them their phone number and they're like, oh, look, you qualified for a free thing. Cool. Great. So um, number one, I don't like giving my phone number out. So I would never do that. We were up north. We were in Michigan. And everybody who's in northern Michigan, Houghton Lake, Higgins Lake area, there's a little ice cream place on the South Shore, Higgins Lake, called Nibbles, (laughs) which is awesome. As a matter of fact, I'm so peed off because last year I found out midway through the summer that the owners of Nibbles sold nibbles to someone else. Oh. And I was like, well, it's just, they've operated at the same, which is great. But I was thinking that would be a business I would buy, like an ice cream store. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So we we get there the first day. We got in town about nine o'clock at night. And my kids go, we got to go to nibbles. Like, all right, let's go to nibbles. So we go over there and the line's super long. And then I, I realize, oh, it's really not a long line. It's just people spread out. You know what I mean? So that's okay. 
pretty efficient operation. We get up there and they've got the little little punch card. Hey, sign up for the Nibbles punch card. And I said, nah, I don't need to do You know, we don't need to do that. My wife says, you should. You know, you get so many ice cream cones, you get a free ice cream cone. What's the harm in it? I'm like, it's just another thing to keep track of. We're not, it's not that big of a deal. I swear to God, we went to Nibbles probably seven times in 20 days being up there. Not quite 20 days. Favorite flavor? Oh, I got everything. Um, you usually, tried it all. Usually I uh, get a soft serve because if, I don't get, there's not a lot of soft serve places here, but I just like chocolate soft serve ice cream. Like if you get a medium soft serve, the ice cream part's that tall. I know this helps on the radio, but that's a lot of ice cream. A, a, that's a, a medium. A big old bunch. Yeah. Anyways, so we're staying in line at Nibbles the last day we're going to be there before we drive back to Dallas. And and I see the little punch card thing again. And I'm thinking about it. And I'm going, okay, we've been here seven times. Yeah. Every time I come here, we get at least seven ice cream cones because we're with grandma and grandpa. Each card is only eight punches with a free ice cream cone. I'm like, you <sighs> dumbass. <laughs> you total. <laughs> I, I would have got like seven free ice cream cones you or sh- six free ice cream cones. I would have had like one free trade. You know, it's like 30 bucks every time you go there. I could see them if you had taken the punch card at their, you know, quarterly meeting with their accountant. They're like, where is all of our cash going? Yeah. There seems to be one person turning in punch card after punch card. Yeah. But I mean, seriously, like, it's like me, my wife, my three kids, grandma and grandpa, you know, everybody's getting ice cream cones. So it's like, could you just seem just go. Yeah. You know, anyways, but, uh, so that was my lesson. I should have got the punch card. Should have got the punch card at Nibbles. Do like, it. Like what? Six out of every seven trips that at that rate, you're getting a free one. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Didn't even dawn on me until later in the film. You and I talked about uh, watching Hamilton. Uh, totally changed course on this, by the way. I put this in a newsletter in July. Because your first thing was you didn't really I love hated it. it. When you, hated it. When you saw it live. Hated it. And then you saw the original cast do it. Was that the difference? The cast? No, 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 no. I don't know. It's just, I had no expectations going into it. So I had no idea what was going to happen. Like the whole, it's the, uh, when I go see a musical, I'm expecting like Phantom of the Opera or Les Mis or whatever. And it was a completely different experience. So it was just a shock to the senses. Jarring. You know, I didn't get it. I didn't get the, like, you know, just wasn't a thing. But then I got, I got the Hamilton book. So I started reading through that. And I'm a big fan of people who are really good at their craft. And so I happen to see a lot of stuff on Lin-Manuel Miranda and just reading the book and like I'm seeing the a paragraph. I go, oh, they talk about this in the thing. And then and then I went, okay, I'm going to listen to the show again, listen to that soundtrack again. I'm going to listen. And you go, okay, he took this paragraph. It's amazing. And turned it into this, you know, four-minute story with 10 people singing and rapping and you know i mean like the whole thing and you go okay that's pretty freaking good like that's a that's that dude's talented and so i more respect the like insane ability like the expertise of that ability than the actual not content but you you know i look at it from the critical eye basically a person who is in this in his case just an expert at his craft I'm amazed by. I'm watching him work. Me too. And then, and then, yeah, he happens to star in his own show, but he didn't star in Moana. No, he wrote but Moana but too. But j- just all of it, I thought that the uh, history was interesting. I'll tell you what I came 
at it with and you filled me in on. I told you what really brought me on was I've tried to watch musicals from my sofa. And Cheryl made me sit through Oklahoma a couple months ago. And it was pretty good. And it was Hugh Jackman as the lead. But sometimes the camera kind of took me out of it. Like you realized that you were almost an interloper. Like I would have rather been in the theater instead of watching. In this case, man, it was shot well. I felt like I just had a front row great seat for this performance. I could watch the guy playing George Washington. You're talking about the on Disney. Sweat. uh, Yeah, and the Disney Plus version, because that's all I've seen. I've never seen it live. I watched, um, you know, the the guy playing the king. You know, you could see when he do his da 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 you'd see the little spit coming out of his mouth right i mean it was so clear it was so i felt so front row like i was in the middle of it never once did i feel like uh i would have had a better experience in the theater i felt like i was watching nfl football where i feel like when i'm at home i'm actually watching the game better even though don't get me wrong i'd rather be in the stadium too bad never again yeah not happening but the best seat in the house is always on tv yeah I felt like that was. Eh. I felt like that was that was the case. I feel like there's better seats than on TV. That's uh, anyway. We can debate uh, football seats later. But or anyway, maybe not seats per se. You were telling me <laughs> you're not even taking it. You're just letting it go. I'm trying to let you let it go. Thank you. I thank you. <laughs> I, I know what you're doing, but you know what I mean. I I, I do know it. I I may or may not know what you mean. I can neither confirm nor deny. My seats are the best. That I that I know what you're doing. Your seats are the best. Uh, not so much a seat, however. When we talk about uh, about this, you explain to me why it looks so good. Mm-hmm. Where, where'd you where'd you get that information? I made it up. Does this sound good? <laughs> Did you really? No. Pretty long, drawn out ruse for no purpose. That was pretty pretty damn good. No, I don't know where I saw it. it. But basically, they recorded it over three different days with the cameras in three different places and recorded it with you know the handheld the camera guy up close basically on a day that they didn't have to perform because if you were in the audience that day you would obviously wouldn't have wanted a camera guy to be right in your face basically or on stage so they did a whole show where they had that you know that they were able to do that so they they recorded it many times and then put it all together which i'm imagining that's how i guess that's maybe how they do it with movies anyway record the scene a couple of different times but um but yeah i mean it's a really cool it's a really cool story. I think uh would they say Disney had 75 million app downloads on July 3rd? New new subscribers? New downloads of the app. Okay. Which I can only imagine would turn into subscribers, so big day for Disney. You don't get to say that often. Big day for I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> a little old company. Every, every sixth day. Get this one though. Of course, being Disney and all of their assets. How about how about this uh, version which just came out? How does a bastard, orphan, son of a whore, and a Scotsman dropped in the middle of a forgotten spot in the Caribbean by providence impoverished and squalor grow up to be a hero and a scholar? We could actually play. It's on uh, YouTube. So uh, I'm sure we're going to get busted. YouTube's going to go. That was copyrighted material. However, that is Hamilton, a Muppet musical, which you can find 
on YouTube. Hour and twelve minutes of the. Oh my goodness! Really? Would you would you would you find that would you find that to be annoying after a while? How uh, about the, how about this? To put me on a pedestal, writing letters to relatives, embellishing my elegance and eloquence. But the elephant is in the room. The truth is in your face when you hear the <laughs> Is that the big orange dude? I don't know. I don't know who it is. Or how about this one? Then I'm willing to. Wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. That's so good. Check out uh, the Hamil- Hamilton Act One, but it's the Muppets on uh, on YouTube. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month, and I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law Eric who is such a giving person, Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website. Resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life. And Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.